doch wel bei dir fragen, was kann wachsen, wachsen und regen, was kann brennen und nicht auf Herren, was kann denken, weinen und trägen. Tumbala, 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 laika, tumbala, 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 laika, tumbala, laika, tumbala, laika, tumbala, laika, freilich soll sein. Welcome to the B'nai B'rith International Podcast. I'm your host, CEO Dan Mariash. Today, we'll be talking about Jewish music with Aaron Bendich, whose improbable weekly hour-long program, Borscht Beat, brings klezmer, Yiddish, and Jewish music, old and new, to the airwaves, takes listeners inside the promising contemporary Jewish music scene. Stay tuned. But just one brief reminder before we jump into our conversation, Check out our series, Conversations with B'nai B'rith, and all of our interviews on Facebook and YouTube. You'll find discussions with diplomats, historians, Holocaust survivors, Middle East experts, even the first Jewish-American male astronaut in space. And get our latest content by subscribing to the B'nai B'rith YouTube channel and liking us on Facebook at B'nai B'rith International. What started as a way for Vassar College alumni to fill airtime on its radio station has turned into a launching pad for Aaron Bendich's Borscht Beat, a weekly FM radio show on Radio Catskill, WJFF 90.5, featuring Jewish music, old and new, familiar, and new wave. 28-year-old launched the hour-long program from his Brooklyn apartment in 2020 in the throes of quarantine as a way to revive and continue his family's love for Jewish music. In less than two years, Bendich has built up a large community of listeners and has expanded to three radio stations, WJFF, WVKR in Poughkeepsie, and WCFA in Cape May. Now, he's launching a record label, also called Borscht Beat, to more actively engage in today's Jewish music scene. We're delighted to have Aaron here with us to delve into Borscht Beat, the radio show, and the label, the rich Jewish cultural history of the Catskills, the future of Jewish music, and much more. Aaron, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Well, my first question for a 28-year-old who plays Yiddish music is, how did that happen? And I have read a little bit about you and um, understand that it was your grandfather, Max, uh, who uh, passed away last year at the age of 105, who really introduced you to music appreciation of this kind of music. Absolutely. So from, from the very day that I was born, my grandfather, Max Bendich, shared with me the music of his childhood and a music that he loved for his entire life. He was born in 1915 in the Bronx and uh, served in World War II, operated a laundry business in the Bronx for a number of years, retired fairly young in his early 60s, and then spent some, uh, the rest of his life just enjoying the culture that he was so invested in intellectually and emotionally. And he was raised on uh, Jewish music, of course, which was his family's background, but he, he instilled an appreciation of all sorts of music, for me, uh, American folk music, uh, theatrical things like, uh, you know, he shared the opera music and he had this massive record collection. 
all of which uh, I ended up with when he moved from his longtime residence, his house in the Bronx, to an old folks' home. And this, among this collection was, were these extraordinary antique Jewish records. And over time, I started to contribute to this <laughs> growing mountain of, of records. And not only would I take them out and show them to him, he would he would say, "Oh, this record you just bought. I already had a copy of it. Look, uh, look in the basement. You'll 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 find it there." And through that, through sharing the music on the radio in college, it became this sort of feedback loop, and I became obsessed. So it was it was really in part a way to connect with my grandfather, and in part a way to build on his legacy. Tell us about the the premise of your radio show. Yeah, so it's um, the the basic premise. The idea that I had was uh, during the pandemic, I, I got this opportunity to come back on the radio. It was something I'd done in college a few years prior. And I had amassed this mountain of records between the stuff that I got from my grandfather and things that I was accumulating on my own. And... I realized that some of the, the work that I had, a lot of the work that I had was completely inaccessible to people who wanted to listen. The, the only way they could hear it was if they bought a copy of the record. So sometimes on air, what I'll do is play a whole record cover to cover and share very detailed information about the record, a mix of the notes that were included on the packaging and, the, uh, and whatever research that I'm able to amass. I do interviews, I uh, crowdsource information from my peers in the Jewish music community, and other weeks I'll do themed uh, mixes of different, uh, different artists, contemporary artists, if I happen to see a bunch of them in a given week, or mixes of stuff from my record collection. How do you think that um, Yiddish plays with uh, the younger Jewish demographic. I know, for example, in you know earlier, like one generation earlier now, uh, Aaron Lansky created the National Yiddish Book Center, uh, which really, in a way, revived interest in uh, amongst young people uh, in in the language. How, how do you think it it, it plays? Because I know you you don't only play artists uh, who performed in the 1940s and 1950s, but you you play contemporary artists singing singing Yiddish. So tell us how that works kind of across generations. Absolutely. Uh, so, so I, through my interest in this music, I've sort of joined into this relatively small community of musicians, academics, and other cultural enthusiasts of the, the Yiddish language. Now, that's a, that's a relatively small group of people who are active, actively involved in some aspect of the uh, disseminated Yiddish language culture. But then besides, besides that, besides the people who are doing it professionally or semi-professionally, there is an ongoing strong interest among young people to connect with their cultural heritage, largely people who are, who are trying to get in touch with their forms of Jewish experience that their parents might have had or their grandparents before them or people who are just trying to explore culture. They come across some sort of either Yiddish language culture, klezmer music, or some other associated ethnic Jewish cultural product, and it resonates with them. 
So there's a lot of there's a lot of entry points, and there's a lot of reasons that people come towards it nowadays. What kind of feedback have you gotten from younger people? So, so from younger people, th- there's a lot of enthusiastic, positive response. People who are excited to learn about new artists, people who are excited to learn about old artists. It's um, it's interesting. I think that there's there's some folks who are creating this type of Jewish culture. Uh, stuff that's in Yiddish or that comes from a, 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 an older Ashkenazi tradition. There's a few that are the most visible, and it's sort of my job to, to bring forward works that are perhaps less visible. That's something that I'm really passionate about. And at the same time, the same could be said about the older work. You know, that there's a handful of Yiddish language records or klezmer music records that did very well commercially and they're more accessible, or by some combination of factors are more digitally accessible nowadays. They show up on YouTube or Spotify. And I take a lot of pleasure in bringing to the forefront things that wouldn't be accessible to people if they didn't have the physical item in front of them or didn't have the specific knowledge that would bring them towards that given piece of music or art. Just to give our audience a sense of what you play on your show, let's listen to a clip of Shane Vidi Livona by the Barry sisters, Clara and Myrna, great Yiddish artists of the 20th century. You know, I know, uh, Aaron, uh, one of your favorites by the Barry sisters uh, is Coney Island, which is English, actually. And um, it's, it's a great tribute to, to Coney Island of, of that era. Uh, and they certainly were um, very popular performers uh, crossing over, because I remember we used to see them on the on the Ed Sullivan show when, when they were performed. How have you found, you've told us about your, your grandfather Max's collection, but you've built your collection. Uh, how have you found some of the vinyl gems uh, that you play uh, for your audience? Yeah, so my, uh, my collection grows in a number of ways. Um, besides the records that came from my grandfather, I'm a very constant uh, treasure hunter. I'm I'm I go to every record store in every town that I happen town or city that I happen to be in. I uh, flip through every possible section of the record store where I might find something Jewish, and there's a lot of different sections that it ends up falling into because it's it's for a lot of people it's not a clearly defined category. Then uh, I also search in thrift shops, antique shops. I then to a lesser extent, if I'm looking for a very specific record, I'll search on places like eBay or Craigslist. Uh, that's, that's if I'm trying to fill out a gap in my collection. But m- I'm much more interested in the treasure hunt element of it, and I find more than enough records that way. And then, because I've gotten some uh, press for my projects, people have donated records to me. I've gotten hundreds and hundreds of records just handed to me by people who have no use for their vinyl anymore. And 
you know, it also, it, it goes beyond vinyl. I collect cassettes. I collect CDs. I collect the big old shellac 78 RPM discs. And uh, I even have a couple eight track tapes. And I'm on the lookout for player piano rolls, wax cylinders, and Edison diamond discs, which are similar to shellac 78s, but made from a different material and require a different player to play back on. Well, let's look at the history of the Catskills here as it relates to this music. Of course, you know, there was um, a, a great Yiddish music scene uh, with the arrival of, of millions of Jewish immigrants, many, of course, to New York City. But beyond that, there was the great Yiddish Rialto, where all the Yiddish theaters were in, in lower Manhattan. And um, there were in some of the bigger cities around the country, there were also um, uh, theaters that, that played uh, that where Yiddish performers uh, played on tour and so forth. But the Catskills was really kind of a very special area for the Jewish community. What kind of acts would we see if we were going up to the Catskills? Who would we see performing at one of the many hotels, Jewish hotels in the area? Yeah, as you mentioned, the Catskills are were this nexus of Jewish vacationers. Uh, there were so many different places to stay. It was a substantial booming industry for decades upon decades. And it attracted a very wide array of performers who were able to do get a lot of work there. Of course, we've got the the, the big names who ended up becoming extremely successful comedians or or, or uh, film and television actors, folks like Jerry Lewis and uh, Milton Berle and all, all of these uh, sort of most successful acts of, of that era. And then, of course, there are the more uh, niche type performers, folks who, that, who, who all play on my show, uh, Mickey Katz, of course, and um, all of these uh, Yiddish comedy greats like the Barton Brothers would play up there. Really, the the list is just sort of all-encompassing, and that's that's the, the joy of it. When I was first talking about this music on the radio, it seemed that every note I was reading from a record sleeve was saying something about performing up in the Catskills. They, they, even um, even they, they say that the earliest uh, established Jewish performance venues up there were, were, were the great Yiddish actors going up and, and bringing with them uh, the attention of the New York City crowd. And uh, of course, as a young person, as someone who's, who's uh, not yet 30, I have sort of been denied this, this experience. And, and I get told all the time, oh, it was, so, it was so wonderful to be up there. You could see all these world-class performers hear all this amazing comedy and of course eat an endless amount of wonderful Jewish food. So I get to sort of present for the world the music, some of the comedy of that era, and give a nice little simulation of what you might have caught sitting in a theater up in a Catskills resort. Now they say, let's go back to the music for a second. They say, you know, that Yiddish is such an expressive language. It's a colorful language. How do you think the sound of the language, because there are many people, I, you know, I confess, my parents were Yiddish speakers. I can speak you know, a little bit. I can speak mainly expressions that were used uh, by my parents. And I'm, I'm in that generation of American Jews that when the parents were talking about something they didn't want the children to know about, they talked in Yiddish. Now, some people 
would lean a little bit in to figure it out. Some people would kind of, you know, block it out. But there is there's something to me, something about the language. You don't have to know the language to be touched by the music, whether it's happy, whether it's sad, whether it's melancholy. So how do you think the sound of the language itself impacts Yiddish music? I think that that's interesting. I, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of folks who say that Yiddish is an inherently funny language. That's a common one. And then, of course, there's other people who say that all of the music is just so sad. <laughs> I think that, that on one hand, there's a lot of nostalgia for those of us who, have, who had beloved older relatives in our lives who could speak the language, who were passionate about the music and culture. And that nostalgic connection brings a, a bit more emotional resonance in the media that we have access to in that language. There was also a big, there, there was both a substantial melodramatic or just tragic vein in so much of the theatrical and musical work that came out in Yiddish. And of course, that incredible comedic tradition in, in the language. And I think that we have these connections established in our minds and the media that we have access to, the music, the films, et cetera, are just so, when they're funny, they're hysterical. When they're, when they're sad, they're really sad. There's, there's, the, there's the deep entrenched connection. For the humor, I think it goes even deeper in that so much of the, um, the humor, the English language humor that shaped cultural tastes of the 20th and in turn the 21st centuries, those can be drawn back to these Yiddish language Borscht Belt comedians. I mean, if you look at the list of all the great com comedic performers who got their start up in the Catskills, you'll realize that they went on to define the American comedic taste in English. So there's, there's the question of the directionality of it. Do we find Yiddish to be funny because it's inherently funny or because we learned comedy in English through a post-Yiddish lens? And perhaps some of the same could be said about tragedy. Uh, there's a lot of dramatic actors, a lot of, certainly a lot of screenwriters and directors who came from this tradition. Though I will say that I, I think that for the for the tragic, sorrowful media, there's there, there are just so many incredible works in Yiddish that that embody those emotional resonances. Yeah, there is something about the, the comedic side uh, for sure, uh, but the sad side. There's some there's some excellent work there. I know you're a big fan of Theodore Bickel, and one of the songs that he sings, uh, I'm sure you played it, uh, that always gets to me every time I hear it is uh, Der Milner's Trarin. The, the Miller's Tears, at which uh, talks about uh, a guy in, the, in, a, in a mill, I gather, in a, in a flour mill or some, something like that, uh, where his life is kind of going around and around as, as you know, he's, they're grinding, you know, the, the, the grain into flour. It's, but it's, it's, it really is it's very touching. I've I mentioned Bikel, had the Barry sisters, as one who has immersed himself in this genre uh, who would you say, because I want to get to the younger performers in a second, but of, of the classic performers, who are your favorites and why? My personal favorite classic era Yiddish language performer is Aaron Lebedev, uh, the theater performer. He, 
and there's just I could go on for hours as I already have on the radio talking about him. His his uh, expressiveness, the the vocal flourishes he does, the accent humor, but also the expressions of longing, of pain. It's all there in his work. He was just a superstar of Yiddish theater. He performed from his childhood till nearly the day he died from Russia, modern present day Belarus to New York City. He was basically churning out performances, all sort of similar, I'm told, from the from the contemporaneous uh, newspaper clippings. But nevertheless, there were many of them. And we have the gift of him having recorded extensively in his time. There, There's a lot of his work available for someone who is primarily recording from the 20s to the 40s. There's a, a whole lot to listen to there. So, yeah, personally, Aaron Lebedev uh, is, is probably my favorite Yiddish language performer. But there, there are um, countless others who I enjoy. You know, for folk songs, collecting folk songs and performing them, I love Ruth Rubin. I, I think a lot of people do. Molly Pecan for for the um, sort of women's side of the of the acting. Freda La Oisher, the the sister of the great cantor and actor Moisha Oisher, had an extraordinary voice. There, there's there's just there's so much it, it, in my collection. You know, I'll flip through if I'm showing someone th- through the records. Every record. Oh, this is the best one. Then two later. Wait, actually, this is the, the best one. There's a lot of bests. Well, Lebedev, I don't think anybody does Romania, Romania quite like Lebedev. He, he, was, uh, he was a master and, and, a, and a terrific performer. And it comes across, I'm, of course, never having seen him, but just hearing him, you can, and you know, sometimes on a, on a record, if someone is singing, you, you can imagine what they would be if they were standing on a stage and they were singing this. And that comes across in, in his music. Now, tell us about some of the younger performers, because there are, there are young performers that are singing in Yiddish. Yes, there's, um, there's a lot of incredible current work in, uh, within the Yiddish world. And I have, the, I have the, the benefit of living in New York City, where it seems there's always a concert to attend. And I, I've seen really innumerable wonderful Yiddish language performances, wonderful klezmer concerts. As for folks who are singing in Yiddish, there, there's, there's really so many wonderful performers. Folks that I see most often in New York City be Eleanor Biazunski, who plays the violin and sings. She's, she's an extraordinary uh, performer and also an archivist of Jewish music at Evo. There's uh, Anthony Russell with, with uh, his group, Sveib Reader, who take these classic early 20th century Yiddish language modernist poems and transform them into these new compositions that completely defy genre categorization. It's somewhere between klezmer, chamber music, French art song. It, it, it comes together in such a magical way with these uh, new melodies that evoke the past. It's really a joy to hear and, and something that's hard to, hard to accurately encompass in words. There's also some, um, all sorts of young, wonderful performers, more and more coming through, popping up all of the time. Well, you've told us, you've told us about uh, Tzvei Breeder, 
contemporary Jewish music duo. Let's listen to a snippet of Mein Heim by Zweibrieder. Aaron, you uh, recently launched a record label, also called Borscht Beat. Uh, tell us about the type of artists that you're working with and the niche that you're trying to carve out in the Jewish music space. Absolutely. So after a while of working on this radio program with an increasing amount of uh, connections and uh, attention from folks, I wanted to think about ways that I could involve myself in the creation, dissemination, and production of this work that go beyond simply playing them for my selected audience. And I spoke to, uh, spoke to my friend who's an incredible klezmer accordionist, Ilya Schneves, and he said, well, if you want to help out, uh, I've got this album that I recorded, and I'd love to have a CD of it out in the world. So his band, Forspiel, uh, recorded this amazing album of Yiddish folk songs transformed into like psychedelic heavy metal, hard rock. It's, it's a very different approach, but all of the artists performing on the album are impressively talented at the traditional Jewish music side of it as well. And it really comes through as an authentic expression of these folk songs, despite the fact that it's a different genre expression. Then subsequently, I'm in the process of releasing Spave Reader and Bemela's album, the one uh, that that song, Mein Heim, came from. And as I said, it's, it's just a, a unique, new, and uh, virtuosic expression of Yiddish song. I'm going to shortly be releasing a wonderful collection of new klezmer compositions performed or composed by violinist Zoe Aqua and performed by a group of musicians that she's connected with in Eastern Europe, where she's doing a Fulbright fellowship. And really, all of these uh, projects, though they come to approach Jewish music from different angles, they're acknowledgments of the living culture that is Ashkenazi Jewish cultural heritage and music. It, it's I, I'm not simply trying to bring out these sort of fusion projects that modernize the genre. It's for me, there's a, a common thread between all of them uh, that it's that, that there's a, a lively, active, meaningful expression of Jewish culture. It's not all things that are grandparents were listening to and were seeing in the theater. It's also not all things that our parents were seeing in the theater during the revival of 30 some odd years ago. There, it's happening right here and right now, and I'm going to do what I can to encourage it, to help foster it, and to bring it to new audiences, whatever way I'm able to. Will uh, Borscht Beat be reissuing some of the great uh, records that have um, just fallen out of circulation. And we've talked about Moishe and Freyda Oisher, Aaron Lebedev, I mean, there's so many, Jen Bart, uh, there are so many others um, that that I, I need, I think, to, to be rediscovered. Is that also uh, part of the plan? It's certainly on the table. 
and uh, that there's one or two reissues that I'm eyeing right now. Uh, it's a totally different process than working with an active artist, but it's something that I would I would absolutely love to do. That's um, my passion. My passion for these old records is what's inspiring me to participate in the creation of new ones. And I think reissuing is something that bridges those two those two passions, certainly. Uh, briefly, uh, can you tell us about what you play on your other radio program, Laughing with Lizards? Uh, how does this program incorporate elements of recordings that you play on your Borstbeat show? Yes, so um, the, it's it's mostly a branding difference. You know, we I launched as Laughing with Lizards on on WVKR to begin with, and then uh, relaunched as Borschtbeat on the on Radio Catskill to make it more directly relevant to the Catskills region. Laughing with Lizards is a term comes from the from a Yiddish phrase that I heard my grandfather say many times growing up. It refers to uh, when one laughs with tears in their eyes, or you know, laughing with laughing while crying, which I think it gets it gets right to the to that idea of the of the multitudes of emotional expressions that exist in the music. If you're not laughing, you'll be crying, and you might find yourself doing both <laughs> while you're uh, while you're listening to to the music. It speaks to the diversity of expression there, and it's great. You know, it's great having the show on three stations. I get to go to the stations and and do some live in studio impromptu sessions when I when I want to. Though generally I am recording in my apartment in New York City and and sending the files out each way. But I had a wonderful visit to the to, to I did Laughing with Lizards live on air at WBKR in Poughkeepsie recently, and that was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Also, when when I'm in person, I get listeners who call in enthusiastically and that's part of what's so amazing about the radio catskill community is when i go up there and am live on air the phone rings off the hook and people i answer the phone and the, the the listeners tell me what their favorite episode was and it could have been six months ago and then they'll tell me the songs i played on that episode it, it feels like i'm really engaging with a population who cares about the music it's a joy well here's the final question uh what's your pitch to someone who might not know much about Jewish music, Yiddish music, in the case of what we're discussing here today, what would you say to someone who hasn't heard Borscht Beat or Jewish music before to pique their interest in the program and in the genre? So, so if I were pitching to someone completely unfamiliar with what I play on the radio and what this type of music is like, I'd say that Jewish music is an extraordinarily expansive category that there, there's just so much amazing work encompassed in within Jewish music some things that are well remembered to history and some that are all but forgotten and when you take the time to delve into it to 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 find the gems and to experience all of what there is to listen to in there it's like opening up a door to to a world hidden uh, in the in the dusty shelves of of 20th century media, uh, commercially released media. There's no, there's no concise way to describe what Jewish music is and what my show has to offer, but there's an incredibly broad and enriching history to be learned about. The history of the Jews in the 20th century and before 
the history of commercially released music, the history of the recording industry and what ends up being printed on the back of, of record sleeves. And uh, also glimpses at the, what the future has to hold for these cultures. So it's it's a pitch. It's uh, <laughs> trying to trying to um, emphasize the expansiveness of it because no, you, you I don't want to pigeonhole the culture into into this or that. It, it, there's really a lot a lot to be experienced there. It's it's also just uh, intellectually engaging. It's, there's something really amazing about combining listening to to music that's just beautiful music exciting music or funny music but also enriching your understanding of the of the history of that music well borscht beat airs every sunday on wjff radio catskill wvkr and poughkeepsie and wcfa cape may or listen via wjffradio.org aaron your program brings a range of jewish music to the airwaves and shares the rich Jewish cultural history of the region uh, with so many listeners. We're grateful for that and for your being with us here today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Well, if you're looking for more of our programming, visit our website, benebrit.org, to listen to all of our conversations, podcasts, and live interviews. Thanks to radio host Aaron Bendich for joining me. And as always, thank you for listening. If you like what you hear and you're in a podcast app already, tap the subscribe button to follow us and also listen to the show via the B'nai B'rith website. For my guest, Aaron Bendich, and for B'nai B'rith, I'm your host, Dan Mary Ashen. Talk to you again soon.